This is Peak Too Early, presented by SAV Racing, featuring Mike Gendron, Trent Fontanella, and Steve Gendron. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the greatest running podcast in the world, Peak Too Early. I am one of your hosts, Steve Jenner. I'm joined by Mike Jenner with Summer Off the Coast of Connecticut. Mike, how you doing? Steve, I'm good. Listen, I got to get out ahead of this right away. I know this is a running podcast. We're going to talk tennis here for a second. Trent, I know we clowned you a little bit for the Medvedev thing. I don't think you really knew how good a tennis he was, but I do want to give you credit because you called... Medvedev over Nadal from like the quarterfinals and Djokovic. that listen I, I mean, I'm sorry Joker and that that's pretty impressive I don't know what it paid out but you, you got to be pretty happy with that so I know we clowned you a little bit you thought you're some smart guy but I will say it was a pretty sharp pick it was a pretty sharp he pick. called him a, he called him this up-and-coming no name from Russia I think he's the ranked third overall I'm not gonna give, did, I'll give you but credit he, he called it from the quarterfinals I mean he called he even called the matchup and listen I get that they're they're both great but he called the matchup so I'm gonna get ahead of it before because see here's the deal Trent wants to brag about it so if I take his thunder and I bring it up now it's his his brag is a little less you know fancy to be fair I just want to say this I did bet him at the beginning of the Australian Open to win the Australian Open. So I have kind of been on Medvedev, Medvedev for quite a while. Anyways, and as always, at the House of Sav, we got Trent Fontanella. Trent, how you doing, bud? I would just like to compliment Michael for one of the best openings this podcast has seen because he's exactly correct. I punched the numbers. I fought through all odds, and I picked Medvedev to stop the, the calendar year Grand Slam that everybody was expecting. I got him at plus 200. I got him again at plus 210, but that's not what I want to talk to you guys about. It's been an emotional few days for me, fellas. My, uh, my parents are getting new floors in like my childhood house. So they had to like clean out all the rooms, right? And so I got the call. You got to come home and you got to throw out some of the shit that you just have in your old bedroom. And you guys have seen my bedroom. It's just like Sports Illustrated for kids posters everywhere. Like it's an epic bedroom. But specifically what I need to go through was the old clothes, right? And I'm a guy who will hold on to his middle school clothes. So I'm going through my t-shirts and such. And Steve, you're you know, you've got a gift. You're, you're able to throw out race t-shirts as they come in. You've said this, like you get a new one, you throw out old ones. You've got like a little bit of a system to keep it under control. Like I have about like 200 just race t-shirts from middle school to high school, to road races, to college. Uh, and so I had a trip down memory lane, just going, looking at all these old, like 5k t-shirts, championship t-shirts, uh, track and field meets and so forth. Uh, picking the ones that were extra sentimental, getting rid of the ones. I mean, they were all sentimental, right? They all felt sentimental, but I had to pick, you know, at least a few dozen of them to get rid of. So it was a little bit of a tough weekend for me, fellas. I, uh, if there's one thing that I get kind of sentimental about, it is clothes, right? Like yeah. I have like race t-shirts, I have old uniforms, um, sports clothes, like, like old sports jerseys and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I get that. I, I have a rule. I have, I have two boxes. One box is all my old uh, uh, gear from college, like all my warm-ups, my uniforms. Like I want, like that's important to me. I want to save that stuff. And the other box is everything else. Every other piece of clothing I know I'm never going to wear again, 
but I want to save. If it doesn't F, if it doesn't fit in that box, I can't keep it. So if I if I want to keep one, I probably got to take one out, or I really got to squish it down. So I only have I have two boxes of like sentimental clothes that I keep. Yeah, I I don't get this because half of your wardrobe already is like middle school basketball t-shirts. Yeah, exactly. It's stuff from like when you were 13 years old. So if it's not already in your rotation, how can it be that sentimental? You, you literally wear every t-shirt you've ever owned. So if it's been sitting in your, you know, you know, childhood bedroom for a decade and you're not already wearing it, it's not already in your rotation, then I don't know. I don't understand that. Michael, this is a, uh, a 2005 Pelham Old Home Day Race t-shirt that I'm wearing right now. So you, you called it. I really do. The thing is, is I mix it. I, I, I really give love to all the clothes. So I go home sometimes. I take my laundry from the apartment. When I'm going home, I'll leave it there and I'll take like a few new t-shirts back from home. So you've seen it all. And it is like my wardrobe is these old clothes. Um, but it's constantly rotating. It's constantly being mixed in. So, I mean, it's not like you haven't seen a lot of these t-shirts that I've given away. I, I, one thing, I know we've talked about it before, but one thing we're, we never give enough credit for is how much of a genius Miss Fontanella is because her, like, making sure that every piece of clothing you got when you were, like, ages 7 to 14 was way too big was the smartest thing she ever did. Like, you have saved so much money on clothing because Mrs. Fontanella was just hooking you up. She was always looking forward, always looking to the future. She's a genius. This, this t-shirt went from 2005, so I would have been uh, 13 years old. This could have been just like the only size they had after the race or before the race that gave it to me, but it's an extra large, and there's a good chance my mother, when I was probably like 5'2", was like, this kid wants an extra large so that she never has to buy another piece of clothing again. She, she knows that he's going to be a bum one day and not going to be able to afford clothing, so I better hook him up for the future. It's very good. Uh, I think it was, I think it was, Trent was trying to, trying to, that was a style back in the day. You can't That's true. You imagine That's true. Trent and all of his Pelham friends riding around the streets of New Hampshire on their bikes, wearing jeans, five sizes too big, an extra large t-shirts and a backwards fitted hat. You, you better believe I didn't throw any of the do-rags that I had. Oh, <laughs> no, Trent. Oh, no. The do-rags and, like, the, oh, the no. black and, and red Priest Holmes jersey. I never wore jeans. Jeans weren't part of it. It was just baggy Basketball shorts, shorts. Yeah, yeah, down to my ankles. And, and, and backwards hats weren't a thing either. It's the askew hat, the CC Sabathia oh, yeah. hat. That's, that's the Trent style. Right? You can see some hat, hat rack back there. but. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, hey, anyways, guys, we got – I got some stories to tell about this weekend. And um, I guess I guess we'll go back a couple months to the beginning of this story. So I was at a wedding with a bunch of my college buddies a um, couple months ago. And the night of the wedding where, you know, I'm a few beers deep, you know, maybe more, more than should be in my system to make these kind of decisions. And one of my friends, he's big. He's really big into CrossFit, but he's really big into these like ruck challenges, like the, the go ruck, uh, you know, is, is kind of like this brand of, of events he likes to participate in. And he talked about how the, the guy, Kyle, who, whose wedding we were at, asked him, said he, he wanted to do a ruck with him. And so him and Kyle signed up for this go ruck event, September 11th event on the 20th anniversary of September 11th in New York City. And me being eight, nine beers deep at the time, 
I said, I'm doing it with you. And so signed up right there on the spot. I think it was like 150 bucks. It wasn't cheap to sign up, but I signed up right there on the spot, not knowing what I got myself into. I would later convince my brother, Matt, to sign up with me. He had, I, I had, I had a tiny, like a, just a, a touch, like I understood a little bit about it. Matt had no idea what he was getting into it. So the event was obviously this past weekend, the 20th anniversary of September 11th. And let me tell you what, this was one of the most mentally and more so physically challenging things I have ever done in my life. So it was a 12-hour ruck throughout the night on Manhattan, finishing, finishing at, at, uh, at, at uh, ground zero. And I think that as runners, as track athletes, cross-country runners, um, you know, road runners, I think, and I'm the most, I am the most guilty of it. We tend to look down on other endurance events uh, as kind of uh, inferior, like it's, you know, we feel like that we, we are the, the sport, the events that take the most pain. Um, and we kind of look down on these other endurance events. Guys, like this, this was no joke. And yeah, like I said, physically, it kicked the crap out of me, pushed me to the limit, pushed me to, pushed me to the edge of failure many, many times. But the, 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 the mental challenge, the psychological torture that you go through, through this thing, sent me to places that I have never been in running. You know, in, in the course of a marathon, you know, in the course of training, those long runs, you got to go to some dark places and you got to get to know yourself real well. I got to know myself better this weekend than any, any long run, any marathon, any, you know, David Goggins four by four by 48 challenge. I would rather do five four by 48, four by four by 48 challenges before I did one of these again. It was that intense. It was I, I, I can't even fully describe like how insane this was. All right. So I have so many questions. First of all, how much, is there like a requirement of how much weight you're supposed to be carrying? Yeah. So it's based on, it's based on how much you weigh. So I think it's like, if you're, if you're between like 160 pounds and like 200 pounds, you need to have, or like 160 pounds, to like maybe like 210, something like that. You need to have 30 pounds in your ruck. Now, uh, so that's just in your ruck in addition to all the water you got to carry and all the other stuff, but you get put into like platoons of 25 to 27 and, and your platoon, the whole night has to carry a bunch of stuff. Like we had to carry 220 pound sandbags, two 80, 80 pound sandbags, two 60 pound sandbags, two 40 pound sandbags. We had to carry uh, two like giant things of water that probably weigh, you know, 20 to 30 pounds each. We had to carry ammo cans, uh, two ammo cans that probably weighed 20 to 30 pounds each. And we had to carry these like two big like barrels. Um, and so like at a minimum at one time, you're probably carrying, you know, 40, uh, like 50 to, to, you know, 70, 75 pounds, because like on the 120 pound sandbags you get two people under there so like you're carrying you're never not carrying a ton of weight so and you like strategically rotate who's carrying the you know the, the different weight and stuff like that give each other breaks and, and whatnot yeah, 
you rotate, but then there's like some, there's a lot of people in your team or your platoon that just can't carry that. Like out of the 25 people, we probably had, you know, 10 to 12 of us that could legitimately carry the 120 pound, the 80 pound sandbags. Like, Which team were you in? Were you the carrier or not carrier oh, team? Oh, I was, I was, I had to step up. Like I, I had to be one of the, one of the grunts carrying the heavy stuff. Like if, if like, if I didn't step up that, that stuff wasn't getting there. So is yes. It, is it one of those things where, like you had to stay with your platoon? Like it, it, one of like, you're as, only as good as your slowest man type of. Oh, Yes. It's, it's not a race. Like if you, if you go into it with the mindset of competition racing, you'll get, you'll get chewed out. You'll get, uh, you'll get, like you, you just, you won't be seen part of the team. It's, it is meant to be like a team thing and you get satisfaction, not out of winning or competing. You get satisfaction out of completing it as a team. What if somebody's falling off or like can't can't go? Do you, do you... So through through the night, you lose people through the night. So like we, I think we lost like three people through the night, and we start. So we started off with twenty five. I think we lost four people. I think we started off with twenty five. We ended with twenty one. Wow, there there might be nothing worse than having to like carry that much weight on your back. I I've done a lot of long long distance hiking, and I'm just all about like ultra light. Just, just don't carry anything. You know, I had some friends come out. I was like, don't even bring rain jackets and it poured on us all day. But like, you don't need anything out there. Just go lighter. Everything is fun as long as you don't have a hundred pounds on your back. And so like, Steve, you could march around New York City for 12 straight hours. I'm sure no problem. You know, you could probably do it for 24 straight hours if you needed to uh, with nothing on your back. But to add that element of things on the back, uh, I don't know, man. This this just sounds kind of like psychotic. I mean, it sounds awesome, right? It sounds like very uh, inspiring. It, it, it's definitely gonna be. There's probably a little more satisfaction to that than there is when we're doing our dumb challenges that we pick that really just like kill us for no greater purpose other than entertaining the, the listeners and ourselves. But uh, this is this is even crazier than what we did. Okay, and so and so let I got two more things to say like on this and in a. About can, I, can I ask you one more question before you finish yeah. with those two points? Because this is something I was thinking about. And I'm almost sure of it. When you signed up for this, I don't think you knew this one fact. And I would like to know when you figured it out. Because the original plan before things got screwed up was me and Trent were supposed to come to New York and party with you oh, that let, night. Let's get, so let's you, that. I don't think you knew. I, I don't no think idea. you knew that you were going through we'll, the we'll get there we'll get okay. there okay. yes yeah well let, let's get i got a couple more things to say on this but we'll get there yeah i had no clue guys i had no clue that you had to carry these extra weights i thought you just had a 30 pound rucksack on your back like i had i had no clue so, so when did you that, figure this information out when they told us to pick up the 120 pound sandbag oh my god. so <laughs> um so like oh my god and so there's a couple of things i want to say so the walking and the carrying the weights through the whole night was the easy, was was kind of a rest. So there's other things that you have to do. So when you first get there, and the, the night starts, they have this thing. They have the, they call it the welcome party that I had no idea. And they come in and you know it's very military inspired and like you're supposed to be like they they make you they send you an email with uh, your name in an alphabetical list and they break you into platoons in this spreadsheet. And they tell you the formation you're supposed to be in with the formation. So you have to figure that all out on your own. 
before the leaders even get there. And so they get there and you're supposed to be in formation. And we're in this, we're in this, on this field, pitch dark on Rand, I think it's Randall Island, north of New York City. And then 10 o'clock hits and they call them the cadres or the platoon leaders come sprinting out and start yelling at us like, you know, like it's the military or whatever. And then they proceed to take us through an hour and a half of intense PT where I'm talking like with the, with your rucksack on your 30 pound rucksack, you're doing push-ups. you're laying on your back, you're holding the push, the, the rucksack over your head, doing flutter kicks. You're doing sprints with the rucksack on, you're doing all this, you're doing like bear crawls, you're doing army crawls. Like I had no idea, like with, with 20 minutes in, I was like, what the hell is going on? Why am I here? And, and they, they eventually allow you to break up into the people that you came with, but this original, this, this original platoon or group that you're in is alphabetical order. So I'm with my brother, Matt and Matt, like I said, had less of an idea what was going on. And through this whole first hour and a half, I look at him and he has this traumatized look in, in his eye. And he's just like, I've never, I've never seen Matt like that ever. And Matt's a gamer, right? Matt's up for stuff, like intense stuff. Like he's a physical guy. Like he does CrossFit. Like he does marathons. Like he's up for a challenge. He was, he was not ready for this. And neither was I, but maybe a little more so than him. But so they take you through this smoke session, this welcome party. And then there's a couple more like PT challenges, like at different points throughout the night. And then when you end, the last thing you do, they bring you through another smoke session where they run you through another hour of PT. So super intense stuff. Um, through the night, it's and so you can't wear a watch. You have no idea where you're going. You have no idea what you're doing. You have no idea what time it is, whatever. And that's part of the mental torture. I learn halfway through this that there's a handful of people in our platoon that the night before did this for 24 hours. And so I find out there's three events. There's one 24 hour one, there's one 12 hour one called the tough. So the, the 24 hour one's the heavy, the 12 hour one is the tough. And then they do like a basic, a six hour one the next day. And there's like 25% of the people that are in my 12 hour one that had done the 24 hour one, were doing the 12 hour one and plan to do the six hour one the next day. And I, I, I couldn't, at the end, I could not take another step. I could not do, I couldn't, I can't, I still can't wrap my head around the people that were doing this, not, not one full day, two days, but three days in a row. The people that did the 24 hour one had four hours to get back to the Randall Island and do it all over again through the night for 24 hours. Like these people are sick. They're tapping. There's something wrong with these people. But my point is, these people that were doing it for the entire weekend, these guys are incredible athletes, absolutely incredible athletes to do this. And, and back to my original point, they're not doing this to compete. They're just doing it to challenge themselves and, and like go to those dark places and learn about themselves. It's insane. I can't, I cannot wrap my, my brain around. So did you like talk to these people? Like, yeah. are they athletes outside of this? Do they do like, do they run? Do they do it? Like what? No, they, this they is just... what they do. They rock. They do these rock events and to work out, they put a heavy backpack on and they go lift stuff. What they do is they rock. I, 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 
Yeah, I don't even know. Like one guy, one guy was in my group, and and I was talking to him. We were carrying the the 120 pounds together, and so you get you know you get pretty close to somebody when you're when you're walking a mile with 120 pounds on sharing 120 pounds shoulder to shoulder. And the guy's like, "Yeah, I, I do this all the time." He's like, "I have a group. There's a group of us here. You know, we're gonna we're doing it through the weekend. We're gonna take Monday off, and then we get back on it at it on Tuesday morning." And we're going on a we're going on a 15 mile ruck on Tuesday morning. It's like, what is wrong with you people? I I don't know who this friend of yours is, Steve. That's got you signed up for this. That that took advantage of a, a drunk Steve, a, a late at night Steve. But he may not be your friend anymore. To his credit, he never encouraged me to do it once, and he 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 actually tried to talk me out of it a couple times. But uh, I was insistent. I was insistent on doing it. I, I mean, listen, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a runner. Like I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a fairly decent endurance athlete. And in the past five, six years, I've taken on lifting. So compared to most runners, I'm probably in terms of strength, I'm probably a top one to 2% runner. Right. And so you combine those two things. I feel like this is going to be a breeze for me. It was not. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's it, one of those things that puts, puts it into perspective real quick right because i think there's a lot of people who you know you'd hear about the the stupid things we do the the marathons and the ultra ragnars and the four by 48 and people the way you're talking about what you did people talk about like that with running events so if we do those things that people think are crazy and then you think this is crazy that I, I, my point is that just goes to show how ridiculously stupid and crazy and insane these people are. Cause if the people who are supposed to be the insane ones like us think it's insane, then that's, that's a new level. That's a new level. And I, I, I will, before we wrap up, before we move on to like what this weekend was supposed to be, um, I will say this. So it's, it was the 20th anniversary of, of nine 11. It was a, the, the whole purpose of this is to honor the fallen. And, um, you, there's stories told throughout the whole night. And so like you, you're complaining, like you're, you're, you know, you're, you're doubting yourself. And then you stop at one of the checkpoints and you talk about, you know, um, you talk about the story of, 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 of the what the people on the planes that went in or you stop and you talk about the firefighters um that you know some of the stories about the the firefighters going up into the building and it kind of it you stop complaining right away right and you start you start realizing like oh no this is nothing and you remember why you're doing it so yes i just complained for the past 15 minutes and and to illustrate like how difficult it was and to talk about how like good of athletes these people are that I was doing it with but I'm happy I did right like it was very it was an an emotional night it was a powerful night I'm never gonna do it again but I'm really glad I did it you not to to change the subject because I think that's a powerful message and I think we've all been in that place not that extreme but you know no matter how bad something sucked you look back and you can reflect and be like all right wow yeah I'm, I'm glad I did that but I do kind of want to ask you an off-topic question here. Um, what was the sweat situation like for you? Because I can't imagine it was very good. It's so. Here's the thing: your your heart rate isn't getting up that high. It's more. It's a. It's a very like slow burn. So there was only like a 
heavy, heavy sweat situation a couple times throughout the night. Like that first hour and a half, I was sweating a lot. And there was one other time where we had to like hustle to make a checkpoint. And I was like running with an 80 pound sandbag and I was sweating a lot. But other than that, it, there wasn't a whole lot of sweating going on. It was just, it was way more of like a slow burn. I don't have any more pressing questions than that. So, <laughs> but anyways, Mike, I, I cut you off there. The plan was, cause this is the same weekend as the fifth Avenue mile and, and somewhere I think around like three, four, four o'clock in the morning, we walk, we walk down fifth Avenue down the mile course and we cross the finish line. So, <laughs> you know, that's, you know, in 2019, 2021, I caught, I crossed the, the fifth Avenue finish line, but we were supposed to go out there. And my plan was I was going to finish this up. I was going to hustle the hotel shower, maybe get a couple hours sleep and then go out to meet you guys. Um, I'm glad we canceled those plans. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I would, I would say so. <laughs> That's crazy. That would you imagine been, <laughs> that would have been a day. I mean, Steve would have slept in past the mile. And then he would have came out. He would have met us. We would have tried to to meet up with some of the the professionals and that sort of thing. And Steve would just be like, just crawling around uh, Fifth Ave, just crawling around everywhere, just finding his way to a bar somewhere to watch the Patriots play for four o'clock. But uh, maybe we should have done it. That kind of would have been hilarious. No, no, I was thinking about uh, two years ago. We woke up on a Sunday morning and opted almost opted out of running a race because we were so hungover and so miserable from the night before and then two years later steve you're you know rocking across the country and you know in a miserable state as well but for for two very different reasons i was i was wandering around manhattan at 3 30 in the morning for two very different reasons yeah yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) oh that's unbelievable full circle yeah glad i did it very powerful not gonna do it again so all right mike i think we got some running to running news to get into let's kick off the running news all right so let's start with the big story of the week you know we we've already talked about this this is the most cool hawker talk we've done ever and we've you know crammed it into just a couple episodes here um but we talked about we we were kind of shocked to see that cole hadn't uh signed a pro deal we kind of really got in depth steve you posted that video of us talking about it a couple weeks ago but it's official cole hawker signs with nike uh not surprised where he signed um and yeah i i can't say i'm that surprised that he signed as a as a pro i think um like we said, him riding his stock right now, his stock is as high as it's ever going to be. And I'm sure, I'm sure the dude got paid. I don't know the logistics of all of that. So yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of the big news sweep in the running nation right now. Cole Hawker is officially a pro. What, what do we got on that boys? I think I was surprised when the news came out, would have thought it would have happened earlier with all the attention for the Olympics, but you know, maybe Cole just wanted to enjoy, uh, enjoy Olympic season without having to make these big kind of life decisions of whether he's going to go back to Oregon or not. Um, he gets to zero in the Olympics and then he can kind of reflect and figure out what he, he's thinking next. I saw he's staying in Oregon, training under his coach, going to go to college still, but just going to collect that paycheck from Nike. Uh, 
I don't know, boys. I'm coming around on Cole Hawker. Uh, watching him at the Olympics and how much, and watching him at the trials, of course. Watching him at the Olympics and like how professional he ran. Uh, his little uh, video showing his or, or breaking the news that he had signed with Nike kind of fired me up. It had some old clips of him running. Uh, had some uh, some cool rap music that I'm not hip enough to know what it was, but it sounded pretty cool and pumped me up. So I have to say, like. I'm excited for the Cole Hawker professional career here. If he did what he did last year in college, I'm really excited to see what he can do uh, as a pro runner. Well, waiting, waiting until after the trials and waiting till after the Olympics, he's essentially betting on himself. He's, he's saying that my performance at the trials and, and potentially making the Olympic team is going to get me a better offer than I'm going to get before the trials. So, uh, good on you if your plan was to go pro and you were gonna you said i'm gonna i'm gonna up the ante by making the olympic team and then and then seeing what the offers are uh that that's i think that's pretty cool um now that he's pro he so i think he's doing the sinclair johnson where he's signing with nike and then going to choose a training team uh because that's as sinclair said on this podcast for negotiation that helps her negotiation because if they know you want to sign because you want to be with the team that gives them a little negotiation power right so the best move is to sign with the brand then choose the team does he go to bowerman like like i i think that listen if he if he has legitimate beef with centro he has legitimate beef with centro and i think that's a very cool storyline if he goes and then becomes centro's training partner I think that's kind of a little bit of a weenie move. Um, so does he go to Bowerman? I, I mean, it'd be really cool to see him go to like Pete Julian squad and train with Donovan and, and Craig, but I don't know, man. Like if he goes to Bowerman, I think I might be out on, on the Cole Hawker, per, like the, the Cole Hawker show here. Yeah. So I, I feel like we've always kind of talked about it and they have that little beef, but I do kind of feel like it's always been not like a, um, like I don't think they hate each other, right? I think they I have think it started that way. I think I think Centro, I think it's kind of smoothed out since then. But I think they, I think they were throwing some legitimate shade at Centro to start this whole thing. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. But I, I do think there's, it's always been one of those things where it's like they talk shit to each other, but there's always been a level of respect, and it, that's the way the track world always does it, right? It's like you can never go full on hate, and even like the the the, the you know quiet and then the, you know like, i don't know how to describe it over putting the finger over shushing. the lips when he uh yeah shushing and that's exactly what you i was that, that, that that's a good way to a good way to put it i do think that was kind of in good fun and when he did that centro was like kind of laughing as he came across the line so i don't know i i don't know how much of the beef was like in in good fun and respectful and i always did kind of feel like um Centro's beef was more with Cooper Tier than it was with Cole Hawker because Cooper was the one who went on podcasts and kind of ran his mouth a little bit. I think uh, Cole kind of got dragged into it. And Cooper's his boy, right? So he kind of went in on it too. But I, I always felt like it was more with, with Tier than him. So, I, But I hear what you're saying. I, I think it would be way, way, way more fun if he goes the other route, goes with Pete Julian, is on you know training with Donovan Brazier, training with those guys. Uh, and separates himself from Centro. So we can at least keep that storyline going. And I feel like, I don't know, I feel like Cole kind of fits in more with that group 
then the Bowerman kind of clean cut kind of all business Yankee mentality. I feel like Cooper Tier feels like he should fit in more with the NOP style Pete Julian kind of Craig Angles type of crew. So I would like to see him there. Cole Hawker. What did I say? Did you say Cooper Tier? Oh, maybe I did. Whatever. I, I'm so getting, I, I disagree getting lost with in my like, takes here. You think you I think dis- he's I disagree with you. I think I think Cole Hawker is about as clean cut as it gets. He is, but I feel like he's a personality. Like you know, he's kind of got the look to him, the long hair. I just feel like he's a personality, like waiting to to butt. I feel like I see him going more of like, you know, being like that kind of more. I don't know, vocals the right word, but flashy star in the sport less than like like I said, the Yankee or the Patriots type of like keep your mouth shut and run. I do feel like, I, I I don't know. I get the sense that he fits in more with the that NOP squad. The uh the shush coming across the line of the trials exactly the right next exactly. to him was you like never, a pretty... you never see a Bowerman person do yeah. that ever. I mean I'm not want to say it wasn't Bowerman, but that just showed he he's got some personality that he's maybe not afraid to share. Uh but like it doesn't matter what his beef was with Centro um or you know who his best friends maybe his friends maybe plays a little bit into it but he's gonna make his decision on whatever is gonna help him like like we all as track fans like want him to go to like petrillion's team and kind of have that rivalry there but like think about other sports right like johnny dame goes to the yankees uh ray allen goes to the heat like you can have these real rivalries but at the end of the day that's not going to prevent cole hawker from joining bowerman if he feels like that's his best chance to run fast so uh but as a track fan we can all root for him not to to be running with Century every day. Sure. And, and just to be clear to you, this is a point that I want to come back around, Trent, that you were talking about. I do feel like, you know, we've kind of, uh, kind of clowned on Cooper Tier and Cole Hawker a little bit. And, you know, we were having good fun with it. But I, I do want to point out that I, I kind of feel like we were more clowning on the fanboyness around, that surrounded him and kind of the let's run atmosphere, of, you know, people jumping on board. I I never disliked Cole Hawker. I still don't dislike Cole Hawker. I still might make my jokes and clown him a little bit, but it's more of like, yeah, that fanboy attitude that surrounded him and kind of the, the turning on Centro Centro used to be our golden child. And now, you know, the whole let's run message boards turned on Centro and is now a Cole Hawker fanboy. So I'm willing and ready to, to root for, for Cole um, but I still want to see this rivalry go down and I still want to be able to make my jokes and yeah, I want to see Centro and, and Cole Hawker go at it. I don't know how much longer, you know, obviously Cole's very young and will outlast Centro, but for the next few years, I think it could be a fun rivalry to talk about. And speaking of rivalries, we had another Jakob Inkebritsen, Timothy Chariot showdown in the Diamond League the last weekend. Uh, I think it was actually the night that we recorded our last podcast. Um, and Chariot, I don't know if you guys saw the race. Unbelievable race. It comes right down to the finish. And Chariot holds him off by a nose by a you know thousandth of a second or something ridiculous. So Chariot wins in the Diamond League. Obviously, Inga Britson has the gold medal on over him. But I guess the question I will pose to you guys is, is the Chariot Inca Brinson rivalry matchup, showdown, whatever you want to call it, is it the best in the sport of track and fields right now? 
right now? Yes, I, I think so. I mean, I, I paused for a second because I wanted to I, I wanted to say Chalimo Lamong, but they don't race each other. They just never exactly. have raced each other. And they never will race each other. Like it, that is unfortunately dead. Um, and, and hopefully, hopefully, you know, that it's not, but it, it most likely is dead. Um, yes, it's, it's the best, it's the best, uh, it's the best rivalry. Uh, I will also say, I think, do you think that, uh, our, our boy Jakob enjoyed Bender season too much? And that's why he, uh, he got, he got nipped at the line there. He just got held off. I, I hope so. I hope that's why I hope he enjoyed himself after that little run. He had this Probably. summer. Probably not. He seems like the lamest guy in the world. Well, we'd see it on the TV show, right? Have we been watching Keeping Up with the Ingebrigtsons? <laughs> I would well, much rather hang out with Chariot than in- Ingebrigtsen. Let's just put it that way. Well, him him losing actually makes me laugh even more because it, it remains true now that the only time Jakob has beat Chariot is in the gold medal race. So it's like everything before the gold medal race, Chariot wins. Everything after the gold medal race, Chariot wins. But that one day, when the on, on the the lights were the brightest, Jakob pulls it off. Does anything else matter? I mean, that no, was that, no, I, that's what a, I think. It's for, great for a long time. That was the uh, the Tom Brady versus Peyton Peyton Manning argument. Right back when that was still a rivalry. Back yeah, when, when you that mattered, still have that yeah. debate. It was like, yeah, Tom, Peyton Manning's got everything, but Brady's got the Super Bowl rings. Agreed. So, Chariot's got everything, but Jakob got the has got the gold medal. So. Steve, I think you brought up a really important point because I was trying to think of other ones, right? You, you have like Kipchoge and Bekele, uh, Brazier, Hopple, just like matchups like that. But what they all came down to is those guys never race each other, right? Like you oh. have these great matchups that could be the great, the beautiful thing about uh, Ingebrigtsen and Chariot. There's two things. One, they're both young, so it's going to last for a long time. And two, they race each other all the time every big meet ever because they both are just like tied to the 1500 and they show up to every diamond league meet they show up to every international race every championship they're running the 1500 these guys have already matched up in their young career an incredible amount of times i don't know the data i don't have my stats uh department on it trent maybe yours can, can get going i know yours is pretty good but they have matched up so many times and it's like this is just a matchup we're gonna see We've already seen a million times and we're going to see a million more times. And I think that's why it doesn't have like the beef that comes along with, like you said, like a Chalima Lamong or, but the fact that these guys are the best in the world and they're going to be the best in the world for a very long time. They're going to keep racing each other a gazillion times. It's the best. Honest to God. I think it's one of the best things we have going in this sport is those two. Mike, what's the best, what's the best all time one-on-one sports rivalry? Uh, bird magic yes and it's it's the greatest because they 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 play each other so much from college throughout their throughout their professional career they were always they were always matching up and i love the fact that neither one of these guys is afraid to consistently step on the line against the other one and show down because you see that way too much in the sport especially in the united states united states runners they're more guilty of it than anywhere else in the world. They'll like only race. They only race their rivals, rivals in the, in like championship races. And I love the fact that these guys are like, all right, step on the line. Let's go. Yeah. Seriously. Like run down your list of like every kind of rivalry matchup. It's like, they always duck each other. I'm thinking even like, um, 
like centro angles for a while there. They just like never matched up or raced each other. It, these these guys just I don't know if it's like purposeful or what it is, but every time it seems like there's like a budding storyline or rivalry, we never get to see it. And like I said, th- this matchup's not as heated as those other ones that we're mentioning, but it's awesome because they race every weekend. It feels like we waited is- we waited three and a half years to get. Chalimo Lamong, and we didn't get and it. It never happened, and it never it will happen. It literally it. will never happen. I hate, I hate everybody involved for the fact that that didn't happen. Come on, guys, be better than that. This, uh, this race this weekend, the chariot one, that was their fourteenth time going head to head. And Jakob Ingebrigtsen is twenty years old, and yet those two have found their way on the track together fourteen times. Uh, that was obviously Inga Britson's only win in the Olympics. But I'm really glad that this wasn't like a passing of the torch from Chariot to Inga Britson at the Olympics, that Chariot was able to bounce back from that. And yes, this one doesn't matter compared to what it happened in Tokyo. But uh, let, let's see some more consistent kind of uh, uh, back and forth of who wins this. It'll be fun. Steve, I'm going to have to talk to Peak Too Early management because this is such bullshit i don't know why trent is the only one who gets a good stats and research department my stats and research department stinks they always come through for him it's it's, it's ridiculous I, i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to talk i'm gonna have to write some anger emails after this right hey, stats and research mike you know me as the the most plugged in person on this pod i just need yeah. a minute to kind of rack my brain and try to remember right. i was going yeah, that, through that was each all race the top one by one i couldn't remember when a few I'm, from what? last year but <laughs> When I'm yelling about Manning, Brady, and, and Bird Magic, Trent's over there Googling. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's hitting the Google machines. Um, all right, so the last story. I uh, just want to give quick props to, you know, friend of the program, uh, OG Nel Rojas, who uh, this weekend won the USATF 10-mile championship. She's still hanging around, and I do think that she's someone that – you need to keep your eye on because ever since she kind of emerged on the scene heading into the Olympic trials, she's still doing her thing. She's still winning races. And it becomes a storyline because she did take down Jenny Simpson. Now, I guess what I want to ask to you guys is, is this headline more of a um, big headline for Nell Rojas? You know, she's still on the scene doing her thing. Or is it an indictment on Jenny Simpson, who may be on the back half of her career here? It's, it's a story about Jenny Simpson. As much For as we sure. love Nell Roja, it's a, it's a story about Jenny Simpson. And we didn't see her find her way to Tokyo this year. Uh, something that I think a few months, maybe at the trials, people were, were shy or, or shying away from that bet. But a few months prior to that, people would have thought that she was a pretty big favorite. Uh, it's a story. How much does Jenny have left in the tank? Nell, great story. We love Nell. And she's going to continue to run solid. But uh, this, is a, this is a Jenny Simpson story. Mm, I'm going to go ahead and disagree with you. I mean, this, is some, this is some straight up like uh Stephen a skip bayless stuff right here and this is where i'm not taking a different side just for the sake of it i honestly believe it's it's nel rojas because um don't get me wrong the jenny simpson decline is is absolutely a story um but people forget that at mile 18 19 of the marathon trials nel rojas was in the lead and she was in a pack that on paper she didn't belong she was pretty much a no-name, right? 
Um, and since that race, we kind of haven't heard a whole lot from her. And she comes out, she wins this race. Um, we are big fans of Nell Rojas on this podcast, and we think that she's a super interesting person in the sport, somebody that we want to see do well in the sport. And so the fact that she's able to come out here, first time we've kind of really seen her in a major race for a couple of years, and she goes out there and she wins, and she wins in dominant fashion against one of the greatest runners in the history of uh, you know this country has seen. Um, I think that is a bigger storyline. Nell, so, Nell's going to be in Boston in a few yeah. weeks. So. so kind of playing both sides here, touching on both what you said. I do believe Nell Rojas within the next, I'd say, two years is going to have a race that it will not shock us, but it will shock many people in the running world who aren't paying attention. I think she's going to have a gigantic race. She's going to win something huge. She's going to put herself big time on the map. So that's why I agree with you, Steve, there. Uh, Trent, to your point on the Jenny Simpson decline, did Craig Angles destroy Jenny Simpson's career? Because ever since the two of them <laughs> had their beef, seriously, like that was, that was like almost the beginning of the end for Jenny, right? Like she was yeah. a huge name in the sport, and that's why that whole thing became uh, prevalent was because those two were beefing because she was such a big name. And it feels like ever since then, Jenny Simpson just doesn't feel like a gigantic name. She feels like she's on the decline. Uh, so I don't know. Did, did that beef, was that the start of the end for, for, you know, American legend, Jenny Simpson? I don't know, but I love that take. <laughs> I love it. You're right. That's the last, that's the last time she was relevant. I'm just, well, I was just trying to think of like the last time that she was on our news segment. And it, I honest to God, I was like racking my brain. And I feel like the last time she was on our news segment was the whole uh, when her and Craig, you know, when NOP broke up and her and Craig had words with each other. I'll never forget that. I was in a cab in Philly and we had just had Craig on. And that I, I remember watching that Jenny clip in the cab and jumping out of the cab and running up to my hotel room and starting to put together stuff defending, uh, you know, defending Craig, Brazier, Coco, like, and starting to post it. Yeah, that that was wild. You're right, Mike. I think it, that was the last time she was relevant. And you, then you said uh, my stats and research department was that's good. Right. That was better believe it. And then that's the first time when you came to the defense of you know the team formerly known as NOP, Steve. That was one of like five times that Donovan Brazier agreed to come onto the podcast. Yeah, and it then was two. It years was also later, probably it was probably that was one of the uh, that was one of the biggest nights for the pod because. Craig, Craig loved that we came to the defense and he, he like posted a couple of our videos and we like doubled our Instagram audience yeah. overnight. It we was, were definitely like the quickest to be very, very vocally like defending the, the NOP, I would say. Yeah. All right, gentlemen, that's all I got for the news. All right. We have a massive interview tonight. This is a guest that we've been trying to get on the podcast for a very long time. Today we got one of Massachusetts' own, Olympian Heather McLean, on the podcast. Let's talk. Well, Heather, you know, I, I want to start off by saying, you know, we wanted you on this podcast for a long time. And a big reason for that is because, you know, Mike and I were both Massachusetts guys. 
Trent mm-hmm. is a he's a Pelham guy, which is kind of like wannabe Massachusetts. Right, yeah, Massachusetts, I'm in Massachusetts. <laughs> and and anybody that listens to our podcast knows that we take a lot of pride in where we're from, and mm-hmm. we take a lot of pride in the type of runner this region of the country turns out. They turn out a tough gritty runner we're city runners we're runners that battle through the winter elements mm-hmm. it definitely turns out like a, a like a, a a true grinder of a of a runner and i think that you are like the poster child for what a massachusetts runner is i mean you you <laughs> you, you, you come from peabody high you you uh where you where you worked at market basket i heard that in, in one of the podcasts where, where i was doing my research <laughs> does, market basket <laughs> doesn't get any more massachusetts than that you go to umass you have a great career at umass and then you graduate and you start running for uh new balance boston and you train you live and you train in boston mm-hmm. so my first question to you was this kind of like a conscious decision to, to stay true to your roots and stay here? Or was it something that just kind of happened at every stage of your career so far? Um, well, I'm like very Massachusetts girl, kind of like what you guys are saying, how you, you kind of stay true to your roots. And I'm kind of the same way. I stayed true to my roots. And I like being close to home, being close to my family and being close to what's familiar. I mean, to a def- or to a fault sometimes because I like being so uh, familiarized with my surroundings. But yeah, I mean, it kind of just worked out that way. Um, I like now I'm, yeah, like I said, just a Boston girl. I've always been a Boston girl and I've always wanted to live in the city and now I'm kind of like living my dream, even though it's different than, you know, what I grew up thinking it would be. But yeah, <laughs> it worked out that way. And it's, you know, what I've always wanted at the same time. So so that's, you know, a, a lot of uh, the pro runners in your situation, you know, Olympians, people with your type of resume, at some point in their career will move to some kind of running, running destination, right? Move to Flagstaff or, you know, move out west or somewhere with a little bit better weather. Do you, do you keep a chip on your shoulder knowing that like 50% of the year you're running through, you know, the snow, you're having to like bomb through stoplights in the middle of uh boston you're crushing repeats down at the reservoir at a cleveland circle like is that something you think about where it's like your training is is a little bit harder than those people who you know have it have it nice in the beautiful weather where they're training does that that chip on your shoulder you you think about that ever yeah a little bit i mean like I've heard stories of people who change their training because of like weather you know rain related or like they'll be complaining about it being like 50 degrees. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, everybody, like they grew up that way, obviously. So they're used to that. But um, yeah, sometimes uh, we'll like talk about it. Like while we're in the middle of uh, doing a fart lick or something in the fall in Boston, it's like 30 degrees. It's like dr- pouring rain or sleeting or hailing or whatever. And uh, we never change a workout for that. I mean, I'm, I guess like the only time we would change a workout if it if the snow was so bad that like Coach Coogan literally couldn't get into the city. But other than that, like we're always doing workouts in that weather and figuring out how to make it work. And I think it definitely helps to our advantage too, because you never know what the conditions are going to be for an outdoor race. So um, you kind of just go with the punches. I know. I know I'm from New Hampshire but I feel like it's pretty much like Boston's still our home city, right? We don't have real cities. So I'm really loving this like pro boss. Doesn't have to be such Massachusetts, but the pro Boston love here. And we could spend the whole episode (laughs) shitting everybody. But uh, you're becoming like 
like or you have become you know the like boston runner right now or one of there's a, there's a nice like awesome running scene going on in boston but you are one of the faces that people are looking up to and i think my favorite like quick example of of this being true and, and a lot of runners have this but but i love this idea they had a, a heather mclean day in peabody the other day right so first off what is it like to have a holiday named after yourself it was weird <laughs> i mean i was extremely honored it was it was totally amazing and um but i'm like somebody's honoring me for like becoming an olympian when people have done far greater things i'm i'm i hope in this city you know <laughs> um i mean it was still amazing but uh i was super honored and super excited to be a part of it and uh, when uh, i like found out about it from the mayor and stuff um like it just felt really great to be honored by my hometown and all the people who showed up to it especially like all these people i haven't talked to in years or um, people who i've never met from peabody and peabody's a pretty big city you know it's a city it's not a town you know so like my graduating class was like 500 people and i remember a week or two after i got back from the olympics i um was walking down the street and i saw some girl who i graduated with who i haven't seen like in whatever eight nine years and I'm like, oh, Jamie, like, nice to see you. She's like, hey, I woke up at 6 a.m. to watch your race. <laughs> like, I just felt really honored that, um, like, people from the city were, like, taking pride in it and uh, becoming a part of the journey and everything. And it felt really cool to be honored by the city. And they, like, retired my jersey and everything in Peabody High. And uh, it was just super cool. And um like part of me like has imposter syndrome still I'm like did I really do that like am I really an Olympian do I really like need a day but um it was still really awesome and it felt really cool to be a part of it all so do you get like a key to the city to get all like your parking <laughs> tickets a race like no speeding tickets ever like what are the perks of having a day <laughs> yeah I did get a key to the city which was really cool like, I just moved my me and my sister just got an apartment together she keeps like making fun of me because she's like everything here is like all of your trophies and stuff and I'm gonna have to decorate that apartment with my like cheerleading trophies from sixth grade <laughs> and, um so yeah I got a key to the city and then um a few of the state reps came so I got like a proclamation and then a proclamation from from the mayor saying that like this is the official Heather McLean day and um, like a, a cool little gift basket from like a few local places in Peabody uh, like one of the really cool things was they made this placard type thing which looks like a hologram and if you look at it one way it says like Peabody Tanners and then if you look at it the other way uh, it says Heather McLean Olympian so that was really awesome it was created by woodworkers in um, in Peabody Mass so it was really local and um, yeah, so it was just like a cute little thing for the city and uh, it felt great to bring like some attention to Peabody because it's maybe not like so up and coming yet, but they are having, they are building like a lot of breweries and redoing the whole downtown and it's completely different from when I grew up. Like I grew up in like central Peabody, which is like central Peabody kids are like different from other parts of Peabody, you know, like we're the rough kids <laughs> and um, it's nice to s drive through downtown Peabody now when I can and like see all the new breweries that are going up or new restaurants and stores and all that. So I got to talk to like the mayor and a few people from PVD a little bit about that, which was really awesome just to see it, it changing. Very yeah. cool. Cool stuff. Well, so you are the first Olympian that we've had on since the Olympics, since the Olympics oh, have really? happened. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, you know, I, I want to know a little bit about the Olympic Village. Now, obviously, like the cardboard beds and everything was viral. But tell us about the Olympic Village. Like, was it cool? Was it was it underwhelming? What was it like? 
Well, what happens in the Olympic Village stays in the Olympic Village. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it was really cool. Um, I think it was definitely different from other Olympics because we all, because of COVID, it was kind of a benefit because all the athletes were in the village, except for, you know, like a few teams. But um, I know in 2016, I was talking to some athletes who went 2016 and they said, for instance, track and field, like all the track and field athletes were in a totally different hotel just by themselves, just with the U.S. track and field athletes. So I thought it was a good opportunity for us to be around all the other athletes as well. And I don't know if that would have happened if it were any other Olympics um, because they would have had more resources and like been able to put people in different hotels based on like whatever money their organizations make. But um, we got to be in uh, like a dorm type building. And I don't know if you guys have ever been to UMass, but uh, it kind of reminded me of the towers at UMass where uh, it's just like a ton of different athletes. Oh, Heather, I lived in one of those towers. Oh, which one? <laughs> uh, JQA. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it was like JQA basically, except for with like all the best athletes in the U.S. from all these different sports. And it was really great because I got to learn so much about sports that I've never learned about before. Uh, for instance, fencing, I like, knew absolutely nothing about fencing, had no clue there was three different disciplines for it. Um, and then there was like rhythmic gymnastics and water polo. There was like a few baseball guys there. And, um, it was nice because when different events were going on, there was athletes at all different times of the day, like watching the events in the common areas. So you got to go down and like watch their sport with them and learn a lot more about it. Um, and in addition, there was like all the athletes from all the other countries walking around the village at all times. So you'd go into the dining hall, you see like the whole, you know, Czech Republic water polo team and I just don't know if we would have gotten that opportunity if it were another Olympics because you know they might have put us in a hotel totally isolated from everybody else um so I thought that was really great I mean it did kind of stink that we couldn't leave the village but the village was huge and it honestly just felt like living on a college dorm I mean a college campus like you don't go anywhere but the college campus and leaving the college campus is like a huge trip. So uh, yeah, it just felt like that. Like you go to your room, you go to the dining hall, like you hang out in the training room and that's about it. <laughs> so it honestly felt like college again. So I adapted to it pretty quickly. Could you go to like any of the events like in, and watch it in person? No, you couldn't. No. Well, you could go to um, the track, like if you were a track and field athlete, but you weren't supposed to go to the other events. I think some people might have, but I, the, our event was like, so towards the end of the meet or towards the end of the whole Olympic experience that, uh, I wouldn't have like wanted to go to any of the other events. And most of like the venues were pretty far away from the village. So, uh, like it would have been a whole day trip and everything. So I didn't risk it. <laughs> other one, one, one more follow-up question on that. Other than the track and field team, which was the coolest team to hang out with? <laughs> other than, um, Ooh, I don't know. We met a lot of the triathletes. They were pretty cool, but they're a tiny team. Uh, and maybe baseball, like the baseball guys were pretty cool. Uh, we hung out with them a little bit, but yeah, track and field was definitely the best. We didn't really get to overlap with the swimmers, so I didn't really yeah. meet any of them. Uh, and the rowers, the women rowers, I met the women rowers and I really liked them. So uh, they were really great as well. <laughs> so I'm definitely going to get back to Massachusetts-based questions because I feel like that's where this interview needs to go. But I do have one more Olympics-type question, kind of a, a nerdy-type running question, which we usually try and stay away from. But I got to ask you. So you kind of you know, had a, a really cool um, squad of 1,500-meter mm -hmm. females that you're going with. And 
you know, obviously L has New England ties, which is super cool. And I'm sure you kind of grew up running against L at, you know, I don't know if you guys ran in high school against each other or anything like that. And then obviously Corey running um, for New Balance. So what was it like that with, you know, a group of girls that I'm sure you spent a lot of time racing against or, you know, running with throughout your career and your life so far to be able to have that kind of connection and then ultimately put on USA together and, and show up online like that honestly I think it definitely helped um you know there was a few like trials and tribulations that happened like throughout the Olympic trials and Olympic experience and uh because we all have had overlap in some way like me and Ellie are like best friends and she's on my team obviously and Corey at one point was coached by Mark so she was living in Boston she's actually in Boston right now too and um, so we've always ha- kind of had that connection that when these, you know, mishaps did happen or whatever, we were always there to support each other. And um, like, obviously, you know, in the trials, we were competitors, but in at the Olympics, we were really just like friends and teammates and really supportive of each other. And it was nice to have that there. But even at the trials, it was like that as well. So um, and I think that's because we have this like little unspoken bond a little bit between the three of us. And um, you know, for all of us, it was our first Olympic experience and we've all like trained in these tough conditions and everybody's kind of had, um, their own, like everybody, every athlete ever has had their own misfortunes down the line, but, uh, we've been able to really connect, uh, with different things that have happened to us over the years and different experiences we had in the pro world and before and everything. And I think that made it really special. And, um yeah I got to definitely know like I knew Corey pretty well going in but I got to know her more which I'm really thankful for and she's amazing and obviously I know Ellie super well already but to be able to share that experience with her like as a teammate and a friend with her and um was all the more special so yeah it was definitely just a really cool squad to have and obviously we're all New Balance girls so really good for the brand and uh it was really great for all three of us. A, and, a, and over the past, over the past, I'd say year and a half to two years, Ellie's been one of the, if not the most badass, like women's oh, yeah. distance runner in the country. And that's somebody you get to train with like every day or on a regular basis. What's that like training with her? It, it's a privilege every day. I mean, Ellie, we make each other better. And uh, I think that we're going to continue to make each other better. And we're still like in the beginning stages of hitting our peak in my opinion. And, uh, I think every day we're testing our limits together and I, I'm really thankful for that and really excited for it as well. I, uh, totally agree. Like point Steve, like Ellie's kind of been on the scene a little bit. I think Corey's been on the scene a little bit more or more of a household name, Mm -hmm. but Heather, this was like this, like last whole season, right. Where you really just tore it up. Uh, you went to Olympics, like you're no longer kind of underdog or, or sneaking up on people like you're heather fucking mclean that right olympian who's who's just like one of the absolute elite athletes that we have in the game has that hit you yet are you ready to like race kind of with that target on your back as someone that you know now people see you as the olympian that they're gonna have to go after i, I don't know i don't think it's really hit me yet <laughs> but i mean it's kind of weird to think about you know when i go into races with former olympians i would always think to myself like oh, like if I beat the person, I'd be like, oh my God, I just like beat this Olympian. And now I'm, I'm kind of that person. So I guess we'll see, like, I think it'll motivate me for sure. But I mean, I, I think it helps me not really seeing myself in that light yet because I want to continue to get better. And 
um, to like reach higher goals and everything. So uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. And <laughs> those that were paying attention through this past winter saw mm-hmm. that you were a, a real contender for, for this team. You had that 800 win on ESPN and I think you, you won a, a, a couple other races. Um, at what point did it become like a reality? Like I have a legitimate shot to make this team or was it up until that day? It's like, I, 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 I still not sure that I can make this team. Uh, I like tried to manifest making the team for a while now, like secretly, obviously, like, I don't want to like seem like I'm doing witchy shit and be like, yeah, I'm like (laughs) telling myself every day I'm going to make this Olympic team. But I mean, that's always something I've struggled with is making myself believe that what I'm capable of. And like, if everyone knew Ellie was going to make the team and I'm doing all these crazy workouts with her and like sticking by her side the whole entire way, then I needed to really make myself believe that I was going to make the team as well. And, you know, like a lot of the people I was closest with who have seen me work out and like have seen some of the best runners in the world were telling me that I was capable of making the team. So it was all about me believing it at the end of the day and putting myself out there and like having the race of my life obviously to make that team and so yeah I I kind of was just telling myself secretly and just being like you know you're capable of making the team just as much as anybody else is out there and if you put yourself out there and you have the race that you know you're capable of you're you're gonna make the team and so I just kept telling myself I was gonna make the team and then like obviously a, a few things happened like along the way you know I didn't have the best um semi-final or prelim to the finals and I didn't know I was gonna make it into the finals and like I remember after the prelim when um my we were protesting it I was just sitting there thinking to myself I'm like you know what I still have the 800 and I still have a shot at making this team and honestly like I had pictured myself I feel a lot more comfortable raising the 800 than the 1500 so I definitely pictured myself like making it maybe in the 800 so I was sitting there being like if I make it into this final, I'm going to be so thankful and I'm going to race like hell to show that I belong there. But if I don't, like I'm going to race like hell in the 800 and that's just how it's going to be. (laughs) And I think that mindset really helped me stay calm and like focused on my goal of making it. And um, yeah, (laughs) and then I did. So it was really great. And then I didn't have to run the 800. (laughs) So so I I, I think this is super interesting because I, you know, this is something I was thinking about with you and even like a guy like Josh Kerr, in the Olympics, when you kind of get to that place where it's like, I don't know if I made it out of this round, mm-hmm. right? And you kind of like, you kind of make peace with the fact that you, you might not be moving on. When yeah. you do get on that line for that next round or in the final, is it kind of almost this, this mentality where it's like, I'm on borrowed time, like I'm playing with house money, I can just like, the expectation is gone, I can just let it loose. Yeah, yeah, I think that definitely helped me for sure. Like, part of me was like, no more Mrs. Nice, Heather, because, like, I always play nice, kind of, and so, not that I need to, like, be a more aggressive racer, but I definitely, like, could work on it, so I told myself, I'm like, you made it into this final, and you don't want to, like, bomb the final, and people, like, be writing on Let's Run or whatever, saying, oh, like, she didn't belong in the final to begin with, so that's why she didn't do well, or, um, like, I wanted to show I belonged there, and, like, I just wanted to show in general that, like, I belong like to my, I wanted to prove to myself mostly that I belong to be racing like amongst like some of the best 1500 meter women in the world, you know, like the U.S. has the best, like some of the best 1500 meter runners in the world. And I was racing amongst them and that's a privilege. And, um, I wanted to show that I belong to be racing amongst them just for myself to prove that like I can do this and 
I can make it to that next level. And it was just really a breakout race for me, I'd say. And um, it definitely really helped with my own confidence in general, like in this sport. <laughs> so Heather, I, I don't want to let you get away with something that you said a couple of minutes ago. So you said that, you know, you're trying to manifest uh, you yeah. get into the Olympics and you, you weren't trying to pull any kind of witchy shit which actually kind of makes me believe that maybe you were. And um, so I, I do my, I do plenty of research here, you know, we're leading up to these interviews and I was listening um, to our friend Dana's podcast and you talked about your roots to, to Salem, Massachusetts and how, you know, there might be some kind of witch history in your family's past. So that kind of got me thinking and you know, whatever I, I've been to Salem, Massachusetts. I don't really think much of it. I thought you were just kind of blowing smoke or whatever. Um, but then I was doing more research credit to me. Um, and I was going through your Instagram and I saw you raced at cross country nationals with the number six, 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 which yeah. I don't know. You, you <laughs> hey, got these the cross country race ever too. So well, I don't know, I don't I, that's, know that's what I'm, that's what I'm, that. that's kind of what I'm getting at here. Heather is <laughs> you, you have these, uh, these routes to Salem, Massachusetts, you race your best race with a uh, cross country number six, six, six. And then you explicitly tell us that you were trying to manifest and not doing any witchy shit to get to the Olympics. So I don't know. Is, is there something more that you need to, to tell us here? Or, you know, I mean, is there, I mean, not, now's a, as good a time as ever to reveal, uh, you know, any kind of information like that. I just believe in like law of attraction. You know, if you uh, believe and tell yourself, that you already have something like you already have it like you're gonna have a higher chance of getting it so I mean I've always believed that and like I always have thought in that way that if I really like I mean it's kind of cliche to be like if you put your mind something to something you can accomplish it but <laughs> I mean I've always kind of had that I guess feeling that if I really like focus on something and really make myself believe like I have something and just pretend like I already have it then like it'll come to me. And so, uh, maybe that's witchy shit. I don't know. <laughs> or <laughs> maybe like a witch to me. I know your cauldron. Yeah. I know for, for sure. I will never cross Heather McLean. I don't, I don't want to yeah, get involved with that. Roots? Yeah. Like does that <laughs> play a part? Who knows? Like I'll leave that to my ancestors. Maybe they're just looking out for me, but <laughs> I mean, I work really hard for like all the things I have and everything. And, um, yeah, I think that definitely helps as well. But uh, yeah, it, it helps to definitely like believe in yourself and believe you can accomplish something that maybe you haven't accomplished yet. <laughs> and well, my mom might have been like a Wiccan or something. So, <laughs> What's a Wiccan? I don't know if I know that. Or, term. Um, there's a different term for it, like in the Salem, in Salem Mass. I think it's called a, like, oh, pagans. Like she's mm -hmm. the same way. She just believes in like, not spirits, but just energy, I guess you could say. And I definitely agree with that too. Like I believe in energy. Like I feel like when you know when somebody comes into a room and they change like the vibe of the whole room, you could feel that. And so I think maybe I'm more in tune to that than some people, but I've also worked on being more in tune to that and just like more, um, I, I just feel it out, you know? So it same goes for racing and everything. Like if you tell yourself beforehand, you're not going to have a good race or you're thinking all these negative thoughts or, um, you're putting yourself in a bad place. Like you're draining your own energy and then you're not going to have the energy for the race. Um, and so, yeah, <laughs> I think, uh, 
my, you know, maybe we, I have some crystals and like sage or whatever, but like <laughs> the, the witches are going to get the listeners onto the podcast, but I, uh, I hippie trend is coming out right now and <laughs> hippie trend is really liking what you have to say and like totally agreeing with like feeling it. So we can, we could talk about that for a while, but yeah, it does work, but you have to combine it, right? It's not that you like short credit you with any of the hard ass work you've done. Like we were talking about earlier, you are the grinder, right? You're the ultimate grinder who puts yeah, in all that hard work. Mm-hmm. But that mentality is probably like propelling that and mm-hmm. they kind of work together. So you found the, the right combination. sounds like. Definitely. Yeah, I think so as well. <laughs> so I, I can't believe this question has made it this long, but what is your Dunkin' order? Oh, oh, God, that oh was my, my next, literally the next question. I always say it's seasonal. So like right now it's pumpkin season since August 18th. Trust me, I was there on the day that pumpkin <laughs> came back. So I have been getting like a medium ice cold brew with pumpkin and oat milk. Okay. But, uh, yeah, that's my Dunkin' order momentarily. But for a while before that, it was medium ice cold brew with oat milk and blueberry. But I sometimes like kind of cancel out the oat milk because if I'm feeling myself, I'll get the sweet cream, like the foam Ooh. on top. And After a tough workout out. only. Yeah. And they've come out with like this pumpkin sweet cream. So it's even better. But then that kind of defeats the purpose of the oat milk. So it's a little <laughs> hypocritical. And like sometimes I get a bacon, egg and cheese, but whatever. <laughs> I, uh, I knew donkeys would come up, so I, I didn't want to talk about Dunkin' Donuts a little bit. Unlike most New Englanders, I don't have this massive affinity towards Dunkin' Donuts. I kind of like honeydew. I always thought that was better. That's because you're, that's cause you're from up. New Hampshire. Yeah, New that's Hampshire, true. I don't have that mass like type. New England. I don't know how to explain New Hampshire, but it's not New England. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's aggressive, but we don't have to. Especially right Pelham. Especially yeah, Pelham. you could talk about Connecticut not being New England. New Hampshire <laughs> is New England. Uh, but here, here's... True. Here, here's a, a series of complaints I have, and I'd like you to respond to them. Of course, yes, please. So I'm, I'm the complaint department. Okay. The pumpkin muffins are delicious, but why are they so crumbly? Like, they just fall apart when you eat them. Oh, all the muffins are crumbly. What you need to do is you need to eat it while you're driving in the bag so that the crumbs, like, only land in the bag, and then you make the crumbs into a little ball, and then you eat the muffin in, like, little balls. Okay, this is why I came to you. This was smart, because yeah. that's a great you, idea. like, fist it a little bit, and then it becomes a little, like, squishy little ball, and that's how you're supposed to eat it. Got it. Next question. They used to have, like, white and dark hot chocolate, like, years ago, and it was so good. Why did they cancel those hot chocolate flavors? Oh, I, I can't speak on that. Mm, all right. And last one. <laughs> I used to think Dunks was a New England brand, and it is, right? It was born in Massachusetts. But if yeah. you go to the other cities, they, like, sponsor, like, the Ravens, right, in Baltimore. They're, like, the official, like, coffee of the Baltimore Ravens. Isn't that bullshit? Like, can we, can we tell Dunkin' Donuts to stick to New England's or stop pretending like you're a New England brand? Well, they know they're New England. Like, they don't need to prove that to anybody. Do they need more business in other states so that they can outrun the other coffee shops? Yes. So are they going to lie and say they're Ravens fans when ultimately we all know that they're Patriots fans? Yes. I would too. (laughs) They're overcompensating in other territories. It's all about marketing. (laughs) I did. To lie a little bit marketing, you've been the truth. (laughs) I did boycott Dunkin' Donuts for like three months when they got rid of the chocolate crawler. But that only lasted so oh, long. Yeah, that chocolate crawler. That was a staple. That was bring crazy. it back. Bring it back, Dunks. <laughs> All right, let's let's let's, let's get let's, the uh, <laughs> Let's keep going on Dunkin' Donuts. This is great. Um, so 
I will give you a pass on retweeting uh, Darren Ravel's creepy screenshotted post of you on your Twitter. Uh, Thank only you for your research, Mike. <laughs> yeah, listen. Hey, like I said, I, I, we, we get into it. We make sure we, we, we get the research department going good. Um, but yeah, Darren Ravel is a weirdo. But like I said, I will, I will, uh, pa- I'll, I'll give you a pass on retweeting him because. That outfit was unbelievable and just the coolest thing. Have you worn that out in public a single time? Oh, yeah, time absolutely. Okay, I mean, good. I just on top of my two Dunkin' Donuts costumes that I impulsively bought in quarantine. Like, I always joke that I'm going to go jog around the res, like, in my Dunkin' Donuts costumes and maybe I'll wear it for Halloween. Who knows? Stay tuned. <laughs> good. It's, it's way too cool to not, not at least wear out in public once. And I feel like, you know, you've solidified yourself as, like, a confident enough, like badass person to get away with wearing that out in public. Exactly. And even if I hadn't, <laughs> I would still wear it. <laughs> People can judge however they want. I mean, at least I'm happy. If they're not happy because I'm wearing it, that sounds like a personal problem. All right. I got to uh, not, we're, we're getting off of Duncan, but I got one more food related question. Of course. Um, so this is, this is a hardcore North Shore question. What's your go-to roast beef place? Oh, that is really a, hard, a hardcore North Shore question. Um, to be honest, I would say Bill and Bob's because Bill and Bob's is in Peabody. But I mean, I have tried that place next to Revere Beach. That's Kelly's. Kelly's. Yeah, I Kelly's really like it. Kelly's. You like um, Kelly's? Okay. I only get roast beef three way. That's the only way you're supposed. Only to Only way to order it. Yeah. Some people are like, "Ew, that's disgusting." I'm like. You're not supposed to order roast beef unless you're getting it roast beef three way. So I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> but cheese um, on the bottom, James River yeah. barbecue sauce, and mayo. <laughs> Only way to order it. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I would say Bill and Bob's first, and then maybe Kelly's. All right. Um, I've tried Nick's roast beef. It's okay, but I'm not going to go there over supporting local Peabody business. I like it. Even though I think it's a chain, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We end every interview with a quick game. So, Mike, why don't you kick off down the home stretch? Down the home stretch, Heather, rapid fire questions. So I'm pretty excited about yeah, your, uh, <laughs> your, your down the home stretch topic here. Um, so Market Basket originated in the town that Steve, or the city that Steve and I grew up in, Lowell, Massachusetts. We know that you worked at Market Basket growing up, so we're going to hit you with some Market Basket questions. Trent's okay. going to hit you with the first one. Let's do it. Oh, is this like a quiz? It's just <laughs> rapid fire. <laughs> we won't make them too difficult for you. Not, not a hard quiz. Uh, as a kid working at Market Basket, what is like the dream position that you want to work your way up to? Oh, um, probably manager, assistant manager, I guess. They weren't like actually managers because then you can kind of just sit there and you got promoted for no reason and you absolutely <laughs> do nothing all day except for like boss around 15 year old kids. Nice. And you're usually like in your like mid 30s or like lower 20 or like mid 20s to 30s. Like you probably are going through college or whatever. And you know, you just show up to work with like your Dunkin' Ice coffee and just boss around all the 15 year old kids. So that's probably like the ideal job. <laughs> so at my market basket that I grew up going to, 
there was always the group of old people sitting by the free coffee that had just smoked a half pack of cigarettes. Were those, did that have the same group of people at your market basket? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You got your regulars. Okay. And then like they would seek you out if they knew who you were as a cashier. And then you're like, it's kind of creepy. Like, <laughs> 75 year old man like comes in every morning at like 7 a.m. while you're in your opening shift and with his coffee and uh, he's like buying like a pack of uh, those like little Debbie cookies or something. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> so the, I, to this day, I think the most miserable people on the entire planet are the poor like 14 year old kid who is out there pushing the um, carriage snake in like the pouring rain, freezing cold in like November in New England. You know, they got like 45 carriages that they're trying to push back to the store. Did you ever have to push the, the carriage snakes? No, the women didn't have to do that. Like maybe it was, I mean, maybe things have changed now. I don't know. But um, yeah, I remember the girls couldn't be carriage boys if that makes sense so yeah the girls like weren't allowed to do that but yeah it did seem kind of miserable but at the same time I know they probably got to go out there and like hang out there a little bit longer than they were supposed to so I guess it had its perks probably maybe you're the wrong person to ask this question to but you, you knew the carriage boys so I'll ask you anyway Am I a jerk if I leave my cart like next to my car in the parking lot and don't put it in the designated spot for the carts? I mean, maybe a little bit. Like, would I consider that a red flag? Probably. <laughs> you're, you're one of the worst people in the world. Let's just... <laughs> like, I wouldn't put that on the, like your hinge profile, but. <laughs> those, those kids don't want to hang out outside person, with that. But. <laughs> Was was your market basket or any of the market baskets around you ever called Demoulis? Because for a little while there, there was a transition where they were all Demoulises and then they switched over to market basket. Yeah, when I like started working at my market basket, a lot of the customers that were older still called it Demoulis. And like a lot of the people I grew up with, like the older people, always called it Demoulis. So like I always mostly knew it as Demoulis growing up. And then when I started working there, I think that's like, when all of them started to rebrand and I know some of them were under new ownership and stuff like that. But, um, and then there was a great market basket strike, of course. <laughs> and I think that like crushed out Demoulas in t totality, but, um, yeah, I, I called Demoulas like growing up. And so, yeah, it was interesting to like go to market basket and, you know, sometimes you talk to people who used to live in Massachusetts, but now they live like all over the country or whatever. And, they would be like, oh, yeah, is Damula still around? I'm like, yeah, it's called Market Basket now. <laughs> so, yeah. Com complete side note, the Damulases lived a couple streets down from, from us growing up, and that was the place on Halloween that you needed to go because they yeah, just gave they you a, a big Damulas bag full of everything. Walk out candy, with a soda. Bag. Yeah, it was the best. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, the best. Um, so no, how many... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so how many of the aisles do you like have memorized still like do you do you still remember where certain things go in the store do you remember what aisles were dedicated to what or is that all completely gone now I didn't shop in the store I mean I didn't like put stuff back on shelves ever like that was my, never my job really but I was mostly just a cashier um but I do still remember like all like almost all the produce codes or not almost all of them but sometimes I'll be at like a supermarket 
and I have to stop myself like when this like 16 year old girl is like ringing my groceries from telling her all the codes because <laughs> they're just so ingrained in my head <laughs> and when it's organic there's like a nine in front of, front of it so I'm like oh that one's organic it's like nine four oh six nine so uh yeah I do still remember like a lot of the codes <laughs> what, what is the code for uh organic avocado organic avocado I'm pretty sure it's 4062 so then it would be 94062 or is it wow yeah it has to be like an in the moment thing <laughs> I, I mean you could have went with that one <laughs> you could have said anything bananas are 411 <laughs> I'll always remember that uh limes I'm pretty sure are 4048 maybe <laughs> yeah impressive All right. oh, last question have you read we are market basket the book I haven't it's a yeah. pretty good book yeah, as, I, as as a as a former employee, you should. Read I should it. read it. I should. Yeah. I haven't. Maybe it'll be my next book. Like I need a new book to read, so maybe that'll be it. <laughs> Anyways, Heather, thank you so much for coming on. This was a ton of fun. We'll be rooting you on in the in the future, and 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 looking to see you continue this, the success you've had over this past summer. <laughs> Thank you. It was great to talk to some math slash talent guys. <laughs> it was nice meeting you all. All right. Thanks again to Heather for coming on the podcast. What a great interview. Man, this has been a long episode so far, so we are going to get right into the Bell Lab. Mike, what do you got for people on the Bell Lab? All right. First of all, I just want to apologize to any of the two crew that is sick of me starting off the Bell Lab in this fashion. But listen, if you don't know what you're tuning in for at this point, I don't know what to tell you. I've waited, I don't know how long this episode is, like an hour and 10 minutes. I've waited this long to talk about it. Listen, the Patriots lost this weekend. But Mac Jones is good at football. He's a good quarterback. He's already better than Cam. He's not going to make a lot of mistakes. I'm not going to be the guy out here saying, oh, he reminds me of Tom Brady, yada, yada, yada. But the Patriots have a good quarterback, and I do think that that's something that the NFL should be a little bit worried about. Uh, so that's that's all I got to say on that. I love it. Love it. Trent, what do you got for people in the Bell app? I'll keep it more running focused. I was thinking how it's fall season. I'm having my first pumpkin beer, which is always a good sign of fall. Fall, of course, means cross country. So I was thinking about some of the sponsored P2E athletes, and I checked it out. Everybody had an opening weekend this weekend. Matias grabbed second place at Franklin Park. Love to see that. Mitchell Martins, East Carolina team, got third place at the Elon Open, wherever Elon is. Uh, and then our girl Ruby Wiles with a nice PR at the Covered Bridge Open. So a uh, shout-out to, to all the cross-country sponsored athletes that we have. These beginning-of-the-year cross-country races that are never, like, a full 8K or, or the full distance, and they, you know, you have, like, Uh, Just random ass teams coming in. They're not even always college teams that are showing up. Always a fun time to get your legs underneath you. So good to see uh, our athletes running well. Love it, love it. Yep, we we got a good squad this year. Um, Yeah, I don't I don't really have much to say. Uh, I kind of kind of said everything I wanted to say at the top of the show. Other than you know, like I said, I said after the go ruck, you know, it it was a pretty emotional weekend in New York City this weekend, the 20th anniversary of of 9/11. So. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to forget that. And I don't want my complaining about the, uh, the go ruck to, to take away from that. But anyways, boys, I would have run faster, but I peaked too early. Mike, hit me with the Josie.
Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. So many things I don't want to say. You know I like my girls a little bit older. I just want to use your love tonight. I don't want to lose your love tonight. Ain't got many friends left to talk to. No one around when I'm in trouble. You know I'd do anything for you. Stay the night, we'll keep it undercover. I just want to use your love tonight I don't want to lose your love tonight We didn't have any rum. We have everything else, but we didn't have rum. So I got like this little New Hampshire micro distillery and uh, I was looking for a drink. Notice it had not been touched in nine months. I was like, fuck it, I'll drink it myself. You're gonna sip rum? Yeah, a little, a little rum. Rum's not, rum's not really a sipping drink, but rum can be a sipping drink. <laughs> can it? Yeah, why not? Anything could be a sipping drink if you want it to be, I suppose. Gin cannot be a sipping drink. That is true. Gin cannot. Gin is not a sipping drink. A nice rum can be a sipping drink. And don't forget what I told you. Cause you're ready, don't mean I'm wrong. Another shoulder to cry upon. I just want to use your love tonight.